Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Today is the day. It's the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. We are also sober in it. One of the things that uh, I am just going to acknowledge today on my social media um, is that this is the anniversary of the death of C.S. Lewis. And um, and I am going to unapologetically be apologetic, like be a person who is putting forth the gospel into the context of the conversation of the day. Um, in ways that honor Jesus, but also in ways that that pierce the heart of uh, of secular people. So Lewis was, I mean, you know, as <clears throat> as all of us are before we become Christians, he was a non-Christian, but he was also just an ardent atheist. And so um, Lewis's conversion, Lewis's experience, Lewis's aha moments, the awakening of his soul is uh, is helpful to know about. As we engage in a world where so many people are walking around um, dead in their sins and with a deadness in their eyes, and we see it, like we see it because we are alive again in Christ Jesus. And so how, um, how do we live in relationship with people who continue to be dead in their sins? Um, and how do we shed light? How do we bear light? How do we bear gospel witness um, so in, in his letters to Malcolm, which, um, was actually, uh, published, I think after he died, I could, I mean, in terms of our seeing, in our seeing the letters, letters to Malcolm, um, there's a line in there where C.S. Lewis says, joy is serious business in heaven. And if you know who joy is in Lewis's life, if you know, that's the name of his wife, uh, who really, love the the experience of love was the awakening of his soul like how could there be something as odd as love as real as love as deep as love as powerful as love if there is no god like how could that even exist how could love exist so anyway the four loves is is is, is sort of the entry into that conversation and then if you know who joy is as a person and you know the story of his loss of joy when she died, and that is told in the book A Grief Observed. If you know those parts of Lewis's testimony, and then you read in Letters to Malcolm this statement that joy is the serious business of heaven, you know that Lewis is talking here on at least two levels, or three, or four, or six, or ten. So just consider today um, that statement, joy is the serious business of heaven. Um, and take seriously today not only the joy but the grief. Take seriously the light and the dark. Take seriously the reality that every person you meet today, every person you meet today, including yourself in the mirror, you are either going to live in splendid glory for all eternity or you are going to be a creature of such great horror that were we to know now 
your future reality. We wouldn't even be able to look upon it. Like that is reality. That is real reality. That is true truth. That is the deeper truth. Um, And that is what Lewis was trying to point to and what we as Christians walking in the world today need to not only be aware of, but but sort of voices for and advocates of. Okay, next up, I'm going to be talking with Adam Holtz. Uh, from Plugged In. We are going to talk about Frozen 2. It uh, it <laughs> it releases tonight. I can go ahead and tell you in advance. I'm not seeing it, but a lot of people will. So we're going to talk about Frozen 2. And then, and then the highlight of the day, we're going to talk about a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And we're going to talk about Mr. Rogers. Yay! That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's an exciting day. It's Fun Friday on Mornings with Carmen. Adam Holtz is back from Plugged In. You can check out what he is writing and talking about at PluggedIn.com. Welcome back. It's always good to be on with you, Carmen. Well, and and you're always on on Fun Friday, so you kind of have the best uh, day of the week. I feel like I do. I do. Like and, Monday, and, you know, Monday we do like Monday machinations. No, oh, not really. or not, it's not, not really. morning, morning Monday or. <laughs> yeah, morning with a U in the middle. No, no, no. Exactly. But on Friday, but on Friday we do fun Friday. So we're going to start with um, what uh, actually a lot of people are going to go see, and that is Frozen 2. All right, yes. go ahead. Be the movie and reviewer, I, Frozen 2. And I just, I just have to say. We had an ice storm last night, so it looked like <gasps> Elsa came and visited us in the night. My kids have a snow day, so <gasps> it it is frozen all over the place today, so it's wow. very appropriate. But oh, enough right. about our weather. Let's talk about this movie. Uh, <laughs> frozen 2 is obviously the sequel to the – I believe it came out in 2014 um, – Disney monster smash hit, maybe it was 13, Frozen, and that introduced us to Anna and Elsa and a whole cast of other characters, and it became, I think, a bigger hit than anybody was expecting. Um, And, and, you know, I could sing Let It Go in my sleep, as I'm Mm -hmm. sure most parents who have daughters probably can, and all of its problematic emotional glory. So, um, Anna and Elsa and the gang are back this time around, and as the movie opens, Everything is awesome. It's all working. Everything's great. And we know it can't stay there. And then weird things start to happen. Elsa begins to hear a, a sort of singing voice that she feels is is calling to her. Um, and then there begin to be these weird elemental things happening around their, their little city-state of Arendelle. And they know something is up. And Elsa, of course, feels that she must follow the voice. And Anna, of course, feels she must go with Elsa. Elsa, of course, thinks Anna shouldn't go. So there's always this tension between Anna wanting to be loyal and Elsa wanting to do things on her own. And that's present again here. Um, And they recall some stories that their dad told them about a battle long, long ago with uh, another nearby kingdom. And it turns out that at the end of the battle – these uh, natural spirits uh, rose up and created a magical mist fog that separates their two kingdoms. And Elsa thinks that the voice is leading her there. And and indeed it is. And so they set off on an adventure that is in many ways exactly what we think it would be. It's a story about taking risks. It's a story about identity and finding the truth. 
Uh, it's a story about loyalty and sacrifice uh, and loss and death, actually. Um, and, and so in some ways, I would say it's it really is significantly darker than the first film. Um, but the thing that surprised me was that Elsa eventually finds, and this is a bit of a, a spoiler warning, um, four elemental spirits. So earth, wind, water, and air. And she has a magical relationship of sorts with them. And by the movie's end, she's really closer to something like a goddess than she is uh, just a, a mere, you know, lovely princess. Um, and so she's still coming to terms with with all of her magical abilities, which just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I think what sets this movie apart from most other Disney movies is – you know, in those films, magic is kind of nondescript. It just is. There's no real explanation for it. But here we get something much closer to a pagan worldview, and it's reinforced when we see these huge monoliths with, you know, images of each of the, the various elemental spirits on them. And it looks like Stonehenge. You know, I'm waiting for the druids to show up. Um, <coughs> hmm. So, okay, I'm talking with Adam Holtz from Plugged yeah. <laughs> In. Um, that's okay. Why don't we um, – If we, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break right now. Okay. When we come back, can we pivot, or is there more you still want to say about Frozen 2? I will stick the landing, and then we'll pivot. All right. Hey, go ahead. Stick the landing, man. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I think that this is just a movie with a lot of spiritual content in it, and as we often mm. talk about, um, I think it's navigable. I don't think it pushes it you know, automatically out of bounds, but there are going to be a lot of families that just say, eh, I don't want to mess with that. So if you're of a mind to go, know that you need to have a conversation about what is true afterwards, because it's not in this movie. So let me, um, let me just ask one final question. And that is this, is the music as good in this one as it was in the first one? No, it's not. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing See, that's, that's, the, that's kind of disappointing, right? Okay. All right. So well, when we come back, Adam Holtz and I are going to talk about a movie that I have not seen yet but already love, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's good to be curious about many things. You can think about things and make believe. All you have to do is think and they'll grow. I just love Mr. Rogers, and I love Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and I can't wait to see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I have my tickets for tonight. Adam Holtz, what am I in for? Well, in my humble opinion, it's the best movie of the year. So, Yay! Um, I, really, I really loved this movie, and here's why. Uh, not only is it a story about Mr. Rogers, which he's a beloved um, – person in our cultural history, and rightly so, but I love what this movie shows us about his character. In a nutshell, this movie is um, about a hard-bitten, cynical, broken journalist who gets an assignment from Esquire magazine to write a profile piece on Mr. Rogers, and he's so hard-bitten and cynical that the reason he gets Mr. Rogers is that nobody else, they were doing an issue full of heroes and doing a bunch of profiles, nobody else would let this guy interview them <laughs> because he had such a terrible reputation. And we later learned that Mr. Rogers said yes because of his terrible reputation. 
he wanted an opportunity to interact with this guy whose name in the movie is Lloyd. Um, it's based on a, a true story that actually happened in an article that was actually written. Um, and, you know, it's a dramatization, so they play a little bit fast and lose with a few things. But what happens is Lloyd discovers that Mr. Rogers is unlike anybody he's ever met. When they first meet, he goes to the set. Mr. Rogers is finishing up a show, and Lloyd watches from the wings. And he just assumes that that Mr. Rogers is a character. And so he, he immediately says something to the effect of, okay, you know, we're done filming now. What's the real deal, Fred? And, and Fred Rogers can't even comprehend his question. Tom Hanks, who plays him remarkably well, just has this confused look on his face because it would never even occur to him that the person he's depicting on screen and the person he actually is would be two different people. And so what we get is a portrait of integrity and more importantly, or of parallel importance, just a kindness that's radical. He's radically kind, and that kindness really helps Lloyd to deal with some some metaphorical demons from his past uh, and to forgive some people who have hurt him. Um, it's a remarkable film about the difference we can make simply by being kind, and I think in our fractured and fractious cultural moment, um, man, we need a story like this. So one of the uh, one of the things that we have learned along the way is that Tom Hanks, who plays Fred Rogers, <laughs> well, well, go ahead. I I won't spoil it. Tell people what well, they they're, don't they're, what they don't yet know. They're sixth cousins, I think the report said. So, so crazy, right? But I, you know, I sort of did the math with the whole six degrees of separation. Are I'm we six cousins? Probably, probably most of us are sixth cousins, <laughs> right? When you do that math. So. Not to minimize it, but it was a it was a nice sort of grace note uh, on this movie. So here was the uh, the conversation when I shared that because I didn't read that until yesterday in preparation for today's conversation. So I shared that at the dinner table last night, and nobody seemed particularly like wowed by the fact that oh they're related, kind of distantly so da da da. And one of you know the bright children at my table looked at me and said, Miss Carmen. Um, we're all related in Jesus. They're actually brothers. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So, right, like, like, yeah, so my my attempt to be, like, wowed by the fact that, oh, they're, they're, they're related distantly, you know, I, we've so, uh, we have so communicated the family nature of, of the Christian um, community that, you know, we see everyone as brothers and sisters. We're, we're very intimately and closely related. Now, I don't actually yes. know if Tom Hanks is a believer um, and so maybe I shouldn't be making that public judgment about about him being my brother. I don't know. It's there hard to say. It's, yeah, hard that's to say. hard to say. And, so we'll just leave. And, we don't we don't have to speculate on that. But it does occur to me that I have a tendency to make assumptions about people that um, may not be true. That's right, and we have to be careful of that. And um, you know, Paul said he doesn't even judge himself. Right. Mm. I mean, and our hearts are so full of you know, the blend of what God is doing to redeem us and the natural wickedness that we have apart from him, that that it's even hard to, to sort, you know, to suss out what our own motivations are, let alone what anybody else's are. So I'm thankful that I don't have to take that job on. Um, I wanted to say one other thing about Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, it's rare that I want to read something from our review but Paul Acey, who wrote our review from uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, wrote something that is just is so powerful, I want to read it. He ends his review saying, 
Our entertainment landscape is filled with fun stories, powerful stories, even inspirational stories. Many a movie will make you laugh or cry or think, but very few will make you want to be a better person. And I think he absolutely nails it here. I walked out of Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood wanting to be a better dad, a better coworker, a better husband, not necessarily in that order, um, you know, a better follower of Jesus. And, and this is the kind of movie that I think we really need right now. So it occurs to me when you describe it in that way, this is the kind of movie that I could buy a, a second ticket and invite someone to go with me. Like I could be, I could feel good about um, sharing this with someone else. I could feel good about sharing this experience with someone else. And it would provide all kinds of fodder for conversation. So um, as we consider uh, seeing this movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, what if we bought an extra ticket and we invited someone um, to go with us? Maybe someone who approaches the world um, and even the media with kind of a downer Debbie attitude, that person who's always critical every Friday when we talk about the movies. Right, it's um, not that fun person, Friday for them. No, it's not fun Friday for them. But maybe this is one of those uh, rare opportunities where we could extend the experience and we could share it with someone else. I think that's pretty rare today. I think it's rare that people yeah. take someone with them to the movie and then have dinner after instead of before or coffee after instead of before and um, and actually discuss it. How did this make you feel and and how might it change your life? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, and I will say, too, that prompts this thought, Carmen. This is not a Christian movie per se, but we know that Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister, ordained minister, um, and we see him praying. Uh, there are a few allusions to God. Uh, the movie shows us that faith was a hugely important part of his life without sort of majoring on that or, or being preachy about that. But I think that there's certainly space to watch this movie and ask the question, how do you think Mr. Rogers' faith, you know, related to the fact that he was so uh, amazingly kind to others and kind of connecting those dots? So, um, you know, I think for a generation, we've sort of been looking for the next Mr. Rogers. I don't know um, if you've if you've seen the Slugs and Bugs uh, show, um, but I if have you not. Have, okay, so let me just go ahead and highly recommend it. There's, I think there's 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 like a dozen episodes available now. You can get it on Right Now Media, um, but there you can get it in other places. But Slugs and Bugs is the closest thing to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, it includes, you know. Obviously, live adults, but it also includes what Which you and I describe Which is better than dead as, adults, I'll say. Right. Well, I'm just saying like puppets, right? There are puppets. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> you know, there are children, like, right? There is this interaction, and it's at the Mr. Rogers neighborhood pace. It's not okay. fast. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, it, it's not that bam, 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 bam kind of uh, visuals. Um, uh -huh. and, and there's music and anyway, slugs and bugs. That's my, like my current, my grandkids are, are slugs and bugs fans in the ways in which I was a Mr. Rogers fan back in the day. Mm. Yeah. So well, anyway, I will you go. check it my out. Shout definitely. out to slugs and bugs. Oh yeah. You should definitely check it out. All right. We got to leave it right there. We are out of time. Um, Adam Holtz, thank you so much. Have a fun snow day or ice day, uh, where you are. Um, but don't be frozen. I will, I will not be frozen, and I might let it go. Make it a beautiful day in your neighborhood. 
Yes. I'll stop there. All right. Thanks, man. Okay. We'll be right back. Thanks, Carmen. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Okay, so um, Chris Martin actually, his job is to lead social media strategy at Lifeway. And Lifeway is, you know, it's big. It's big on the scene in terms of Christian resources and communicating the Christian faith in the culture today. And so um, I thought it would be fun to talk with Chris about why we are on social media and as Christians, what we're doing there. Like, do you have a social media strategy? If you are on Facebook, if you are on Twitter, if you are on TikTok or some other um, social media platform, Instagram, why are you there? Um, and what's the what's your social media strategy? And if your church is on one or more of those platforms, why are you there? Um, what are you doing there? What are you hoping to accomplish? What's your strategy uh, for being on social media and engaged with that? I'm also going to ask Chris, because yesterday, Jesus is the Son of God was trending on Twitter. Um, I'm going to ask him, like, how does that happen? And maybe why does it matter? That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Teens today are experts in the art of mass communication, but they tend to come up short on truly connecting. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. From Facebook and Twitter to Instagram and Snapchat, today's generation has every tool imaginable at their fingertips for communicating with peers. They can barely go five minutes without telling the whole world about what they're eating or where they're going with their friends. But you and I both know that this form of one-way communication falls painfully short of meaningful conversation. So mom, dad, turn off the cell phone and teach your teen the dying art of connecting face-to-face. No amount of likes or followers can replace the joy of true relationship. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. talking today with Chris Martin. He is the managing editor of Lifeway Voices. He leads social media strategy at Lifeway. Uh, He actually studies social media and he helps us Christians out here in the world try to better use it for uh, God's glory and the ministry that he has set us as stewards over. So Chris, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I'm just going to assure you in advance, there's no pop quiz today on this segment of the show. Although when Dan DeWitt was on, I gave him a pop quiz. And when you are up at Cedarville, um, you can ask him how he did on that. Yes, I will. I'm I'm (laughs) headed up there this week before we head home for Thanksgiving to visit a friend. And I'll make sure if I run into Dan to ask him how he did. That's perfect. Um, He didn't do well. Okay. So uh, yesterday, Jesus is the Son of God was trending on Twitter. Now, I'm not going to make much ado about what I ultimately know is nothing, but tell us how that happens and why people think it matters. Yeah, so how it happens, it can happen in a number of ways. I actually saw that the other day, and I was trying to track down usually what happens is some famous person or a group of famous people tweet some sort of phrase um, and it gets a lot of interaction and then people start quote tweeting that tweet and talking about that tweet and then it it just kind of bubbles up 
and so and and Twitter's algorithm of how it measures what's trending and whatnot says this phrase is trending because it's um not because everyone on Twitter is talking about it, but because the um it's become a really common phrase, like it kind of sparked really quickly and it and it had some some flame to it. Um, but it doesn't mean, you know, that everyone on Twitter is talking about it necessarily. And so I could not locate the sort of um uh, the sort of epicenter, I guess, if you wanted to use that term, I couldn't locate the epicenter of how that uh, that phrase got trending. Um, but I assumed it was it was in in relation to Kanye West's new album. But it wasn't Jesus is is King, which is what the name of the album was. So I'm not sure what what was the original sort of epicenter of that. Um, but then you had a lot of people using that phrase and talking about that phrase. I think a lot of people. Um, I tweeted about the about the fact that this was happening earlier in the week, and I, I this isn't going to be a popular opinion necessarily, but um, whenever I see people, what's funny is when I did go look at to try to find what caused that phrase to be trending on Twitter, the most common tweets I were was seeing were tweets saying, "Jesus is trending on Twitter," like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Like, maybe people will come to Jesus, or you know, like all kinds of sort of meta self-referential wow look jesus is tre- jesus is trending on twitter how amazing is that those were the majority of the tweets i was finding when i was searching the trending tab on twitter and i tweeted about this i said uh jesus uh, getting really excited about jesus trending on twitter is the 21st century version of hoping jesus will overthrow rome and i and i really mean that i kind of just thought that when i was reading through those tweets when when we get really really excited about Jesus trending on Twitter, I think ultimately um, we're just really we're really happy Jesus is popular. We're really happy Jesus um, people are talking about Jesus. Now I think obviously that is a good thing to be happy about. But if we understand social media and how it works, um, Jesus can trend on Twitter because people put the word Jesus in a tweet and talk really badly about Jesus. Um, Mm. So if we understand just basic social media, the word Jesus can trend on Twitter because people are talking about how bad Jesus was or something like that. Um, So Jesus can trend on Twitter. That doesn't we we have this, um, unfortunately, in our culture, this is a kind of symptomatic of a larger problem. We've come to a point, I think, where um, virality equals value. So we we have this idea that if something goes viral, it has value. It's valuable. If something is popular on social media, it's more valuable than if it wasn't. Um, like, wow, that went viral. That's a that's usually like an affirmative. Like, wow, that's really great. It's really great that that went viral. And so we have this idea that um, the fact that Jesus trends that somehow validates Jesus. And that's just not true. Um, Just like Jesus didn't have to overthrow Rome to validate who he was or his ministry, um, Jesus doesn't have to trend on Twitter. We get so caught up in celebrity culture and wanting to be validated and wanting to be accepted that um, Jesus trending on Twitter somehow becomes a big deal to some of us. And I, I don't think, like, it's so antithetical to who Jesus is to care that Jesus trends on Twitter. Um, I can't imagine, you know, this is a funny thing to say, but if Jesus were around today, he would really care a whole lot if he trended on Twitter. That kind of goes against the whole first will be last, last will be first kind of a thing. Um, and and I don't really think that, 
Jesus trending on Twitter is really much ado about nothing. And I and it kind of breaks my heart when I see people getting all excited about it because I think it's um, it's kind of a way of saying Jesus is popular uh, and this is really great. Maybe people will accept him, but so few of us are actually sharing the gospel with our friends. I don't know if we actually care about that. So in the conversation about language, which I am always a person who is interested in the words that we use and how we use them and how they catch on, um, we have to be careful when we say virality and be sure that we emphasize the the A in that word because virility is awfully co- awfully close. And that is... Right. It's just interesting. Right. Right. But anyway, and, and so is the word virus. Like we when we start talking about, hey, something going viral is always positive. You know, it's based on the concept of a virus, which is not something we consider good um, in terms of when it attacks our bodies. So I do think that it's always helpful to talk with you about the words we're using. Um, but I want to have a conversation when we come back from the break about why, as Christians, we're even on social media. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of people who are on social media just because it's the it seems to be the thing to do, um, and they don't necessarily have a strategy for being there. I'm really concerned when we talk about churches or we talk about ministries that have a presence on social media, but no real strategy for being there. So when we come back, can we talk about that? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Perfect. All right. So I'm talking with Chris Martin from Lifeway Voices. He leads their social media strategy at Lifeway. So I feel like he's a good person to ask about why we should have a strategy on social media. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so I'm talking with Chris Martin from Lifeway Voices about social media, and we're going to have a conversation about social media strategy. Now, I recognize, um, Chris, that we could we could spend a semester uh, on this conversation, and uh, and and yet I'm confident that you are able to articulate why a Christian and or Christian organization and or church should have a social media strategy, and then maybe some ideas about how to frame that conversation if we have not yet had it with ourselves or in our church or with our Christian ministry. Yeah, you're so right. It's uh, it's something that if I were a professor or if I had a PhD in communication, I could easily teach a whole class on for a semester. People do it all the time. Um, but where do we start? I think uh, let's start here. I had a conversation with a friend the other day. It was just yesterday. And she said, uh, there's a friend at work and she said, you are out of all the social media people I know, the people who work in social media, <clears throat> you have the most sobering view of social. I forget the exact word you said, but the most sobering negative, if you will, view of social media of anyone who works in social media. And I said, that's a hundred percent right. And then I showed her the phone case that I have. So I have a phone case that has on the back of it. It's a clear phone case. And it has a black bordered white warning label on it like you would see on a pack of cigarettes that says you know, cigarettes have been shown to, or nicotine has been shown to cause cancer or whatever. <clears throat> and it says social media seriously harms your mental health. Hmm. And it, it's it's right on the back of my phone. If you If I was holding my phone in front of you, you'd see it. It's clearly there. And so it's true. I out of people who work out of everyone I know who works on social media. Uh, I'm the person who loves who like loves it the least. And 
I truly think social media has had a, when you consider all the good and the bad that has come from social media since its inception sometime in the late 90s or early 2000s, I think social media has had a net negative on society as a whole. I don't think social media is a net positive on how we interact with each other or anything like that. I think I think if you were to add up all the goods and bads, social media is a net negative. Now, the question would be, well, Chris, then why do you why have you given your entire professional life to working in something you think is a net negative? And I think that um, it's just pretty clear to me that as believers, as Christians, we're called to shine light in the darkness. Um, and if I thought social media was amazing and it was full of light, I would feel less compelled to shine light there. But social media is such a dark place. I feel even more compelled to work in it and try to shine the light of the gospel and the good news in it. So for Christians, now, when we get into like strategy and why it's important, uh, it's important to have a social media strategy, whether you're an individual, a church, a Christian organization, a Christian university, whatever, it's important to have a strategy because of sin. Without, mm. uh, w- Because we're sinful, because we're sinful, we are inclined to use social media, our default setting, if you will, our default setting in using social media is going to be for bad purposes, for bad reasons, bad motivations, to make much of ourselves or to try to push some thought system onto other people in a mean way to express anger, dis- discontent, or uh, what all the, all the all the things that you see on social media that make you cringe or make you not want to get back on. That's what happens when we when we exercise. Uh, so when we exercise our social muscles on social media without a strategy, um, our sin takes over. So we all, whether you're an individual, a stay at home mom who likes to log on to Facebook while you're waiting for your kids in the car line or you're uh, a major Christian organization or or megachurch, you need a social media strategy because uh, if you don't, um, sin can can have a more dramatic effect on uh, how you use social media. And so I think we need a social media strategy on a very spiritual level just because it will help us guard against sin. But then on a more practical level, I guess you could say, on a more sort of organizational level, the reason we need social media strategy is to make the most of our time. I mean, today there are just dozens, and it does, it's not really dozens, but it feels like dozens of ways that we could be creating social media content on so many different platforms. And do we create blog posts or uh, graphics with Bible verses on them? Or do we make videos or you know, all these different, do we have a podcast or not? Do we have a blog or not? You know, all these different options we have to have or that we do have, we have to decide we have to use wisdom and understand our audience and decide what is the best use of our time. So if um, if I could offer one most important piece of advice I would give to people, um, organizations specifically. So talking to people who manage social media for their church or for an organization, um, who is my audience and what are their needs and what gifts has God given me to serve those people? So at the intersection of those three questions is where we find what good content is. And when I meet with all the social media managers when we get at Lifeway when we get back from Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks, that's what that's the exercise I'm going to have them go through for all of their different brands, all of the different resources they provide. Who is your audience? 
who are they? Demographically, just who are they? If they were filling out a census survey, how would they answer questions? What are their needs? So do they feel lonely? Do they feel under-equipped for ministry? Do they feel um, like they're suffering in some way? What are, what are their felt needs, their pain points? And then what gifts has God given us uh, uniquely? You know, what are we good at? What are we best at in the world, or at least best at in our little circle of influence? And then how can we create content uh, on social media to serve the needs of those that demographic of people that that we're trying to reach with our gifts? What have we been uniquely designed to do that that we are good at? And so that's kind of, in my opinion, the foundation of good social media strategies. Too many people, organizations or individuals get on social media for self-seeking purposes. Um, they really want people to know how awesome they are, how cool their new book is or whatever. And that's all f well and good. But ultimately, I think as Christians, this is a good social media strategy, whether you're Christian or not, in my opinion. But especially for Christians, we need to use social media to provide more value for others than we're asking others to provide to us. So we need to use social media to help other people more than we're asking them to help us by buying our book or attending our event or listening to our podcast or anything like that. So we really should seek to be um, as selfless as possible in how we use social media as an individual or an organization. And I really think the Lord will bless that. Um, I'm taking lots of notes. Um, I think that that is, uh, there's just so much wisdom there. And it's um, so aligned with with who we are as Christians, at least, you know, in our best moments. Um, the, I mean, just all the way back to Abraham, am I going to be the kind of person, or the Tower of Babel, and am I going to be the kind of person who wants to build something to make a name for myself so that I can be seen? Or am I really in the world? Do I really acknowledge that I'm in the world to make the name of God great, to make the name of Jesus famous? Um, and again, the goal there isn't to be sure that Jesus trends on Twitter, uh, but it is to be sure that he is represented, represented in my life and through my social media in ways that honor him, that have very little to do with me, but that honor him. That's exactly right. And I think a lot of people and, and I, I was hoping that as social media sort of matured over the years that the mindset on social media about social mm. media would change. But yeah. I think over the years, people, people have have gotten further away from realizing that social media is reality. Um, social media is reality. And the way we conduct ourselves on social media may pr prevent us from ever being able to have an intentional conversation face to face because we conduct ourselves so poorly online. So I think it's really important that people conduct themselves online in the same way that they would conduct themselves talking with someone face to face. And I think we would all be a little bit kinder as a result, because I don't think everyone who's mean on social media is as mean uh, in real life as they maybe they are online. I absolutely uh, look at people's social media feed when, you know, when a publicist pitches somebody, I go and I look at that person's personal social media feed. And if what they're doing or saying on social media is not something I want to platform, uh, we, we don't we don't have them on. I mean, I, so it is real. It is real life. All right, Chris, you and I got to leave it right there. Hey, blessings, uh, blessings uh, on you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Blessings on this next effort uh, with your colleagues at Lifeway. We really appreciate you coming and sharing with us. Thanks. You have a great Thanksgiving, too. Thank you. That's Chris Martin from Lifeway Voices. We'll be right back. All right, we're totally out of time. Um, I hope you are going to have a great day. Make it a great day. Make it beautiful in your neighborhood. Go live it out. Shine bright. Be sure.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.